Thank you, Father, that the Spirit of God will speak to each and every one of us. That, yes, Father, you can multitask. People have a hard time doing it, but in the realm of the Spirit, you can multitask. And, Father, that even the words that I'm speaking, that you're speaking through me, you're speaking other things that, that the other that people are hearing that may, not even, that may not correspond to what I'm preaching on. But, Father, I'm believing that, Father, that they'll receive everything that they need today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. And I want to talk to today, you know, we've, I've taught in the past about your relationship with the Father, how important that is. Um, and we're kind of, you know, in, in that vein, but a lot of times people don't understand it. When, we talk, when you talk about your relationship with the Father, what are we talking about? We're really talking about prayer. Because your prayer life is, comes out of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. You know, as I said before, the most important relationship that you have here on earth is your relationship with the Heavenly Father. You know, some people would think, well, it's the relationship I have with my spouse or my kids or my boss. No, those aren't the most important relationship because if, you're, if your vertical relationship is out of kilter, it's going to affect everything in your life. Everything. And it's going to manifest, and, and not in a good way. But if your relationship with your Heavenly Father is right, it will have a dynamic effect on every area of your life and other people around you. They'll, they'll see it. That's how powerful it is. So what I want to talk about today, and the title of the message is The Purpose for Intercession. All right, Intercession, praying for others, and how important it is. Now when we talk about prayer, a lot of times people, believers will just shut down because when they look at their own life, they don't pray unless they really need something. And then when they do pray, they don't get anything. All right? And so a lot of Christians have uh, uh, different thoughts concerning prayer, and a lot of them just, they don't even really pray because of exactly what I said. And, and again, that really comes out of your relationship with the Father and the importance of prayer. Prayer is very important. Your relationship that you have with the Father you're speaking to him, but also him speaking to you. And the word of God really calls us to intercede, and intercession really is a prayer to hold back judgment. The definition of intercession is, is praying to hold back judgment, because that's why we're called to intercede for others. You intercede for your loved ones. You intercede for family members, your, your, your parents, your children, your grandchildren, People you work with, you're interceding. And why do you have that, that sense to intercede for them? Because really what you're doing is you're wanting God to hold back judgment on them. Because you know that the way that things are going in their life, what, how they're living their life, things aren't right. And it's, it's almost like you can see the train coming. Right? You, you see this train coming. And they're standing right out in the middle of the track. All right? Well, in the realm of the Spirit, how do you change that situation? Because in the natural, they don't listen to you, right? You tell them things, but they don't listen. You need intercession. All right? What you're, what you're doing is you're calling so that God will, will hold back judgment. And we see this um, with Abraham 
In Genesis 18, I'm going to take a look there. In Genesis 18, uh, we have this situation with Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember the story about Abraham and, and his, his nephew Lot, Lot goes to live in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, because he separates from his, his uncle, uh, Abraham, who, who the Lord's blessing. And I don't want to get too much into that in that aspect of it, but uh, God's speaking here in, in Genesis 18, verse 17, 16, he says, And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abram went with them to bring them on the way. And this, the, these men are, are, are angels. It says, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. Notice what he says here in verse 19. For I know him. What's he saying here? You've got to take that a little deeper. He's talking about, I've got a relationship with him. That's why what he said earlier um, in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I'm going to do? See, God was saying, I can't, I can't hide from Abraham that thing I'm going to do. I've got a relationship with this guy. I talk to him. He talks to me. He listens to me. So for me to just to go around behind his back and do something, bring judgment, hide from him that thing I'm going to, I, I can't do that. All right? So that's basically what he's saying. He says, that he will command his children, he says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. Verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. Now, this cry that they're talking about is called the cry, it's called the cry of faith. What was happening is there was people in Sodom and Gomorrah, in, in that area, that was crying out to God for help. There was a cry. It doesn't say how many, whether it was one. I don't think it was very many people at all because of what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but they were crying out. It was the cry of faith. The cry of faith provokes, or I should say, invokes a blessing. The cry of faith invokes a blessing. And what that, what that does is that meaning of that word invoke, a blessing, it means to call forth, to put something in operation. And so the cry that was coming from Sodom and Gomorrah was, was, go, was reaching heaven, and the father said, I'm going to go down and check it out to see what they was, what, what's going on there. Now, not that God didn't know it, but see, God is very orderly. He doesn't just do things. And when we read the rest of the story, you find out, yeah, he, 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 sent, he sent angels down to check it out to see what was going on. It, 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 heaven operates a lot like a courtroom. 
All right? Heaven operates a lot like a courtroom. In a courtroom, what do you have? You have a judge. Then you have a prosecuting attorney. All right? Then you have, then you have the defending attorney. And then you have the defendant. All right? The judge is real obvious. The judge is the father. The prosecuting attorney, that's Satan. The defending attorney, that's Jesus. And the, uh, uh, the accused, all right, is you and me. Okay, and there's a process that has to, has to take place. What happens a lot of times is the people are silent. They don't say anything. They don't do anything. They don't give their defending attorney any, any information to work with. Okay, so he, he still works, but he's limited in, in what he can do because people don't say the right things. Okay? So, the, um, uh, the cry of faith, it invokes a blessing. Sin, on the other hand, provokes God. It provokes to incite, and that word provoke means to incite to anger, to call forth, to bring on, to stir up on purpose judgment. So that's what sin does, is it, is it uh, provokes judgment in the earth. So there was a cry of faith that was coming out from, from the earth concerning the, what, the goings-on of Sodom and Gomorrah then we know what happens with the rest of the story is God sends down the angels to go into Sodom and Gomorrah. And he has this conversation with, with Abraham. And uh, he starts out, and Abraham, and Abraham starts to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Lord, if, 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 if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you, will you hold back judgment? And God says, yeah, there's 50 there, I'll... I'll hold back judgment. I won't wipe it out. He said, okay, how about if there's 40 righteous people? And God says, okay, 40 people, I'll hold back judgment. He says, okay, Lord, uh, how about 30? And this keeps going on, and he keeps lowering it. And finally, he gets down to 10, and he says, okay, Lord, if there's 10 righteous people there, will you hold back judgment? God says, I'll hold back judgment if there's 10. Now, you you, you got to realize there's, there's Lot and his wife, okay? There's two. And then they have, daughter, they have daughters because what happens when the angels come down, all right, and they come, into the, they come into the city, and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah see these angels come up to, to Lot's door, and they knock on the door. And they see Lot open the door, and, and he, he calls the angels to come in. All right? So the men of the city see this happening, and they come in, they knock, they're banging on the door, and they say, hey, let those men come back out here. We want to know them. And they're talking about intimately. They're talking about sexually, pervertedly. They want to know them. And the weird thing really happens here, and this is what sin will do to people, even when they're around it. Lot then says to the men of the city, who are homosexuals, don't touch these men. All right? But I've got two daughters here. Take them, and you can have your way with them. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. But that's how twisted and perverted sin uh, will happen in somebody's life. 
I mean, they weren't interested in the girls. They wanted the men. So the angels go back and, 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 and they, they blind these men so they can't see. So anyway, what winds up happening is when, when Lot's having this discourse with, with the father said, if there's ten righteous, will you spare the city? Well, because he's thinking, oh, he, I, got, I got Lot and his wife. I got the, their two daughters. And the two daughters have, have spouses. So there's two, uh, uh, four more, there's six. We're almost, we're almost, and surely there's, you know, three or four more we can find. Well, he couldn't find them. So what happened? He sent the angels in saying, you have to leave the city. And he told, and the angels told Lot's family, don't look back when you leave. Because if you look back, you'll be turned to a pillar of salt. And what happened with Lot's wife? She looked back and she was turned to a pillar of salt. But, you know, the, an interesting thing about that story is you come over into the New, the New Testament, um, and it says concerning Lot, it was vexed daily. You heard it right. In the New Testament, it calls Lot, it says, that righteous man. God looked at Lot and said he was righteous. Now, by his actions, you and I would say, well, he's not righteous at all. I mean, look what he did. He perverted his family. He, he, was, giving his, he was willing to give his daughter. But see, God, God looked at him as righteous. Why? Because of the faith of Abraham. Because of the faith of Abraham. It was accounted unto, uh, it was accounted unto, uh, faith was accounted unto Abraham by his faith because he, was, he believed that God was going to one day send his son to die on the cross. And it was accounted unto Abraham for righteous sake. So guess what? Everybody that was connected to Abraham, God saw the same way. And Lot was connected to him. Although he made some wrong choices and got disconnected, and it, it opened the door of sin in his life. So we, here we see an example where Abraham actually intercedes, and he is able to stop judgment from happening immediately. And his, his brother, his son, his, his nephew, and his family are able to leave and get out of the city. Now let's, go, let's, let's take a look here when we, concerning judgment. Look, go to the book of Micah, chapter 7. Micah, chapter 7. And if you don't know where Micah is, just go to Malachi and go back about four books. <laughs> Malachi, or Micah, chapter 7. And look at verse 18. It says this concerning the Lord. It says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. See, God's not looking, he's, you know, contrary to a lot of teaching, God's not looking to judge people real quick. He delights in mercy. That's why a lot of times when we, when we see situations going on, we're like, God, why, did, why is God putting up with this? Because he's looking, he, he delights in mercy. He really does delight in mercy. 
And you know, it says vengeance is the Lord. It's not ours. All right. We're not to judge. We're not. We're not called to judge people. We are called to judge things. We're we're called to judge sin. We're not called to judge people. But we as Christians are called to judge sin. You you, you call sin for what it is. It's sin. I'm not saying somebody's going to go to hell because of that sin, but we're not called to judge them. But that sin will lead you to hell. All right. So God, we see here that that God delights in mercy. Now go to Ezekiel thirty-three. Turn back just a few chapters, or books, rather. Ezekiel 33, I want you to see this. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, Say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn you and turn you from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? See, <laughs> that's what you call being merciful. Now, look, go back to Ezekiel 22, 10 chapters. Ezekiel 22. And look at verse 30. He says here, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Verse 31, Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. What's he saying here? He's saying because there was nobody to intercede for the land, to pray for the land, to, ask, to cry out to God for mercy for the land, he brought judgment. Inter your intercession is so important. Yet I've heard pastors over the years talk about, and I've experienced this myself too, when uh, churches, when we have uh, intercessory prayer, um, it's the lowest turnout of, of, of all services. And, you know, I mean, we are a small congregation, so, you know, the, the numbers are kind of skewed, but I'm talking about churches of four and 500 people that routinely have four and 500 people come in. Uh, I know pastors that say they're lucky if they get 10 people come to intercessory prayer. Why? It's because of the, the, how they view intercessory prayer. They're not looking at it correctly because when you're interceding, you're interceding, you're standing in the gap. You are literally touching somebody's life and enabling uh, uh, mercy to be upon them so that God does not bring judgment. It's that important. That's what the Lord was saying. He said, I looked for somebody to stand in the gap. I couldn't find anybody. If he can't find anybody to stand in the gap, what's left? Judgment. Judgment. That's why I say, you know, we, we, we talk about the importance of your words. Your words are so important. Your relationship with your Heavenly Father is so important. Because as you communicate to Him, 
and you, you grow in that relationship, you understand what his will is. Right? You know that it's, it's God's will to save people. I mean, in the, in, in the Christian church in the United States, you would never hear a minister, well, I hope not now, <laughs> maybe now, but in the, past, in the recent times, you would never hear a pastor call people up uh, for, for, for salvation and say, and lay his hands on them and say, now, Lord, if it's your will to save this person, we want you to save them. Right? You'd never hear a pastor say that. Why? Because we know it's God's will. Right? It's, it's God's will. That, you know, he said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever called, you know, called on believing in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So we know that. Why do we know that? Because that scripture has been drilled in us so much that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's God's will to save people. So when we intercede on that for somebody's salvation, we don't ask God, Father, if it's your will to save my, my son or to save my, my spouse. We know it is. We, we stand, we stand at a, in a position of, of faith, believing that, Father, I know it's your will to save them. And I, I'm standing in the gap, and I'm interceding for them so that what? Judgment doesn't come on them. You're, you're literally... If you, see, if you could see the authority that you have, and you had a revelation on the authority that you have as a believer, it would change how you talk, it would change how you react, it would change how you look at things, it would change how you look at other people, because you see that you have something they don't have. You have authority. You know, I, I go back... Um, to Jesus as he's ministering and the Roman centurion is, is at one of his meetings. And Jesus is ministering to the people and there's all kinds of signs and wonders happening. And this Roman centurion shows up at the meeting and he says to the Roman centurion, what, what is your what is your, your issue? What problem do you have? He said, I've got a servant that is lying and die. He's dying. And Jesus said, I will come with you and I will minister to him. And the Roman centurion says, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. I'm a man that's under authority. I tell people to go and they go. I tell people to come, they come. And I understand, I see that you have authority. You just say the word that I know my servant will be made whole. Well, Jesus is just blown away. <laughs> He's complete. I mean, to see Jesus' face, I can just see his eyes getting big and a smile on his face. I mean, not that he didn't have a smile, but the smile got even bigger. He said, I have never seen faith like this man has. And he's not even a covenant partner with me. Go in peace, brother, your servant's soul. In all of Jerusalem, he said, in all of Israel, nobody has faith like this man because he understood authority. See, it's the same thing. When you understand about intercession, you understand about authority that when you say something, when you speak as a believer, as a Christian, you have authority. God's listening to you. 
He's listening to everything you say. In that courtroom, you now as the defendant are standing in the gap and you're saying something. And Jesus, as your, as your lawyer, now says, Father, our judge, they are in agreement with your word. Your word and them are in agreement. The covenant is at work. Satan, take your hands off. You're a liar. See, the accuser of the brethren, he is accusing you daily, constantly. And what happens in the realm of the Spirit when you intercede, or, or, whether you, or when you repent on yourself for something that you've done, now what happens is the blood of Jesus covers that sin. And what did God say about sin? He said, their sin, I will, he said, when they come to me and give their lives to me, I will be their God and they will be my people. And he said, their sin I will remember no more. So if you've, if you've, if you've sinned and you ask for forgiveness and the, the, um, the devil is accusing you in the courtroom, Jesus looks to the Father and he says, the blood of Jesus is over this. My blood's sufficient for this. Case dismissed. There's, there's no discussion. That's the authority that you have because you said, Father, forgive me for what I've done. It's washed. It's over with. This case is dismissed. So, take that same principle. When you intercede for someone else, you're stopping the judgment that God is, 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 is supposed to bring to that situation. He's, he's stopping bringing judgment because you are interceding for somebody. We find this very same thing with Moses. Let's, let, let's look here. Go to, go to um, uh, Numbers 14. The very thing happens with, with Moses also. Numbers 14, verse 11. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be that they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, and I will smite them with pestilence and, and, dis, and disinherit them, and I will make of thee a, a greater nation and mightier than they. Now here, verse 13, And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For you brought us this people in your might from among them, and they will tell of it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among his people, and that you, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that you goest before them by the daytime in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, verse 15, If you shall kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame, of your will, speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great, according to as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, 
and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Pardon, I beseech thee, verse 19, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of your mercy, and as you have, and as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. What just happened there? Moses interceded for the Israelites. He stopped God from bringing judgment to the people. Remember what God said back, we read, we read earlier, he said, I was looking for someone to stand in the gap in the land, but I didn't see anybody. I didn't see anybody. We see this happen again too in Exodus. Go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. And verse 7 says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. This is what the, the Ten Commandments. They have turned aside quickly out of thy way, which I have commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto. And I said, These by thy gods, O Israel, have I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I may make of, the, of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against your people, which you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your, your fierce wrath and repent of this evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, what happened there? Moses, what did he do? He took God's word, and he reminded the Lord. He said, Lord, this is what you said you would do. See, when, when you start using your authority that God gave you, he gave you, he, he, remember what he said? He said to Adam and Eve, he said, now go, he, he said he gave him dominion over everything in the earth. And when you look at that word dominion, it means complete, absolute control. Complete, absolute control. Now, when they sinned, they yielded up dominion, their authority, to the devil. That's why Satan was able to stand before Jesus and say, took him to the mountaintop and say, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you these nations. Satan had to have the authority of the nations. Otherwise, Jesus, if he didn't have any authority, Jesus would have said to him, you ain't got no authority to give me those, those nations. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, I will not bow down and worship you. The word of the Lord is what I'll follow. That it's by his word. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And see, that ain't changed. You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when you stand in the gap and you're, and you're praying, you're interceding, whether it's for someone else or even yourself, you're speaking that word. You're reminding the Father of what he's already said. Just like Moses did with him, he wasn't disrespectful. He said, God, didn't you say this concerning these people? And you sure don't want the you don't you sure don't want the Egyptians saying that that you, that you destroyed your own the, the people that you love. Well, what was happening there? God wanted to see if Moses would actually stand in the gap and remind him of what his promises were. He knew Moses would. He knew Moses would stand in the gap and, and speak the truth. So that he could he he wouldn't have to wipe his people out. Just the same thing. God is looking for you and me to stand in the gap and intercede for people. Now, go to um, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. This will really just confirm everything I just said there. Psalm 106. And look at verse 23. It says, therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. See, here it is in Psalm saying the same thing again, that God would have destroyed them except his chosen one, Moses, Stood in the gap. Now I want to say I want to say one thing, you know, a couple of things about that. We have Moses, who stood in the gap. He had the Spirit of the Lord on him. He did not have the Spirit of the Lord living in him. And God called him His chosen one. You and I. All right, let's bring it into the New Testament. You and I. We don't have the Spirit of God on us. He's in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you. Not a like one, the same one. So you have, you have resurrection power living inside you. How much more are you the chosen one in the New Testament than Moses was chosen in the Old Testament? You know, what Jesus said about John the Baptist he said, John the Baptist is the least in the kingdom compared to all the, the new ones. Why? Because John the Baptist lived in a time, he lived in a time that was attached to the law. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those technically are Old Testament books. Yeah, they're Old Testament books. That's why some of the things that Jesus said sounds a little bit confusing. Because, but because he was answering them according to the Old Testament law. When he died and he was resurrected, all right, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he said, don't worry about that. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, a comforter, a parakletos, and he will lead you. He will guide you into all truth. 
So what would happen is, instead of having Jesus only in one place, he was sending the Spirit of God to live in each one of us. So that power that he had is now living in you. Not like one, it's the same one. And then, and then Paul even talks about it in Ephesians, he gave gifts unto men. He talks about the fivefold ministry. All right? In Philippians. In Ephesians, Paul says this. And in Ephesians 2, it says, I believe it's Ephesians 2, verse 6. And he seated us at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. See this self. Now, you, yeah, see, picture yourself. You're here in Boonville, Indiana. All right? at 1120 South 8th Street. But at the same time, you're at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Now, why is that important? Because at the right hand of the Father is Jesus. What, is at the right, what does the right hand always speak of? It always speaks of power and authority. It always speaks of power and authority. You and I have power, we have authority that was given unto us by Jesus because he said it to the disciples, he said, all power has been given unto me and I give unto you. Go into the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into the world and make converts. He said make disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple is one that does exactly what Jesus did. walking in authority. As you intercede for other people, you are holding back judgment. Now, the good news is, Jesus was sent, and he is now our intercessor in heaven. He's, he's, intercede, he's interceding for you and I. So see, not only does he have you to intercede for people here on earth, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for you and me. That what? That we will do what the Father wants us to do. And we'll get a revelation to know that this is what the Father wants us to do. Because see, until you get that revelation, you're not, you can't do anything. You, you don't really know what to do. It's like putting somebody on a job and saying, okay, this is your job. Well, how do I do it? I don't know. Just, just stay around here. You're not going to do anything because you're waiting for somebody to come along and show you. Right? Well, see, your relationship with the Father, as you, as you work in and develop in that relationship, you start to get a revelation of what you are called to do. My lands, when we look at people in the earth today, people in the world, they're asking, they're asking all kinds of questions that God wants to answer. Why are we here? That's the, probably the biggest question people ask. What, what is all this about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about you developing your relationship with the Heavenly Father. And out of that relationship, he will, he will show you what your purpose in this life is. That's why you can take somebody and that's a, even a Christian, and they'll have a job and they hate it. And they'll work that job for 40 years and retire and hate that job the whole time. And the whole time they were Christians. Why? 
because they were doing something God never called them to do. When God calls you to something, he get, there's peace about it. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any rough days. It just means you're going to have peace. You're going to have joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you don't have joy in what you're doing, chances are you're not doing what God's called you to do, and that's why, that's why everything's messed up. So out of that relationship that you have, God shows you your purpose in this life. He reveals things to you so that what? You can be a blessing to other people. That the nations looked at Abraham and that the nations looked at Abraham and said, there's something about this man that everything he touches, it, it, like, it turns to gold. What is it? And see, that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. You know, and it gets down to David. And then David has a son. You know, he goes through that whole thing with Bathsheba. And he has a son named Solomon who inherits the kingdom from David. And Solomon is the richest man on the face of the earth of all time, even far richer than anybody that we have today in comparison, finances. He is so wealthy. He literally, there's nothing you can give the man that he doesn't already have. But, but, but the, what was it? The, 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 the Queen of Sheba, she comes to him and she, she wants to know, gain knowledge from him. And she brains and gives this man an army of horses. Why? Why give somebody something that they already have? Because she understood that knowledge is, it has a price. Knowledge has a price. It'll cost you. It'll always cost you something. And she was of the world, and she understood it. And we have people in the church today that they don't understand that the knowledge of God is going to cost you. You're going to have to give up something. You'll have to give up something. You'll have to make a change in your life. That's why Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 12. He says, he said, don't be conformed to the world's way, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change how you think. Change how you see things. And that's what I alluded to earlier with the Spirit of God was saying. He said the problem with the church today is we take this Bible and we try to conform it to our way of thinking and it doesn't work. It leads to with their walk with God because what they see the, the Word of God saying to them, it's not working in their lives. And so they have to twist it and make it work. They have to twist it and say, well, you know, sin was back then in earlier times. We've got to get with the changes. God's okay with sin today. No, he's not. He said that in his word. He said, I don't change. Heaven and earth will pass away. He said, but my word's forever. I don't change. So when we start to see that, that, we, that God doesn't change, we need to get with his program and start operating under that program so that we see change not only in our lives, but in, but in our neighbor's life, in our children's lives, in our parents' lives. Because it has an effect on everyone around you. 
That's the power that you're dealing with here. We're talking about the Word of God. The authority that you have as an intercessor, you can change, you can change whole situations. We're changing this city. This city's changing. Amen. This city is changing. When we got here just, you know, 15 years ago, downtown was a mess. Boom, there was, you know, I said this last night, boom, there was a place that people came to only to escape, to hide. It's not that way anymore. Boom, there was build, it's building up. There's some nice homes coming in here. All the downtown's been transformed. It doesn't look like it's falling apart anymore. Yeah, it's not happening as fast as we want, but there's, God's changing things, making changes. And this city, rather than be a city of sin, is, gonna, is a city of God. I see people in this city praying. I see people in this city worshiping God. I see people t uh, talking about God. Not talking about gangs, but talking about God. Talking about Jesus. Sharing Jesus with their neighbors. And guess what happens? From household to household, people are going to get saved. People are going to get born again. Their lives are good. They're going to get delivered. People that were hung up on, on alcohol and drugs. Just overnight. You know, the Lord delivered me of alcohol and drugs literally, literally overnight. I went from drinking and doing drugs. One day to the next day, it's gone. Just go, it, it went. I just woke up one day, it, it was gone. I no longer had the, had the desire to drink. I no longer had the desire to do drugs. What's the power of God? It's that power that you have in you. So when you intercede for somebody, when you call on the name of the Lord, Lord and you say, Father, I cry out for mercy for, for my brother. I intercede. I thank you, Father, for saving them. I thank you for revealing your truth to them. Even though in the natural, they may still be living in, in, in hell and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. What are you doing? You're interceding saying, Father, I believe your word over their situation. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for them. And that by his stripes, they're, they're, he, they're healed. Satan, you take your hands off this person. You may have to pray, and you may have to fast. All right? But that situation's changing, and you know it. You know it. You're not just praying, hoping that it's going to change. No, no, no. You're praying from the standpoint it's changing right now when I speak. Why? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Not a like one. See, that, cha that changes the whole situation. Most Christians, when they pray, they pray from the standpoint hoping God's going to do something. You'll never see him do anything. He won't do it. Because that does not move God. The only thing that moves God is faith. That's why Moses, when he stood before God and said, Hold it, hold it. You're not going to destroy these people. Remember what you said in your word? How's that going to look if you destroy them? And what did God say? I repent. 
my chosen one stood up and spoken. It says in the Bible that God watches over his word to perform it. So what's that mean? He's watching over you and me to perform the words that we speak out of our mouth in our situation. That's what happened to me. Over a, a little over a year ago, they diagnosed me with cancer. And uh, if I listened to the nurses and that, doctors, I'd have just gone on home because they said this is the worst kind of cancer you could ever get. But I didn't listen. I, you know, I thanked them for what they what they showed me. I went I went home, and I talked to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, now I know you didn't put this on me, and I know we live in a fallen world. But it's also possible that I left a door open, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Yeah, you left a door open. He said, There's three things you did, and He told me what they were. And so, one of them, he said, you, I, I told you to get ready to go full-time in the ministry. And he said, you've not really done anything, even planning on going full-time. You're just kind of sitting around waiting. I said, you're right. You're right. I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. And there was two other kind of minor things. But he said, those things too, you need to make changes in those areas. I said, well, I, you're right. I repent. He said, okay. He said, now, Michael, um, in 30 days, this will, this will be over. He didn't say I was going to heal you. He said, in 30 days, this will be over. That was his words. And that was right around the end of uh, the, the year, right between Christmas and New Year's, when he told me that. And I went to the doctor, and they set up my surgery. They went and did surgery on the 17th of January. And when they did the surgery, they checked all the cancer in my body, and they came back within a week and said, there's no cancer in your body. There's none. It was over with. Just like the Lord said. Completely gone. I didn't have to have chemo. I didn't have to have anything. Why? Because I heard from the heaven. I heard what the Father said. And that's what I was believing on. Because what the Father says has rule over everything. I'm not saying the doctors were lying. God uses doctors. The doctors were simply telling me in the natural what it looked like. That's all they did. But when I heard from heaven, now I could use my faith. Now I know, okay, what caused it, I've taken care of that. And then when I took care of that, the Father said, now in 30 days, this will all be gone. And 30 days later, it was. So my faith was working. See what I'm saying? That's the importance of you hearing from heaven. When you're interceding, don't just start praying for somebody. Say, Father, what is it I need to say about this situation? Show me in your word what... If I need to look in your word, I'll look in your word. Show me in your word what I need to pray over these people or over this situation. And the Lord will show you. Now you've got faith. Why? Because God's spoken to you and he said, this is what's going on there. Now you've got scripture. Now you take that scripture 
and you stand with that scripture and say, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how soon we see change. All right? That's not our part. Because our part is when we spoke the word, it started changing in the realm of the spirit. In the natural, we don't know when that will show up. It may be immediately. It may be a day, two, week, month, year. I don't know. I'm not moved by that. I already know it's changed because my faith is at work here. I know it has changed. That's the power of, of intercession. Okay. Now, there's other types of prayer, and those have different rules. All right? But, the, but, but in intercession, when you've heard from heaven over the situation, you've spoken that word, it has started to change immediately. All right? And because you're interceding, like we just read, because God's seeing that you're standing in the gap, judgment's withheld. Judgment is withheld. So a lot of times what happens is nobody's interceding for the, for the person or the situation. And you need true intercession. It doesn't say anything about, in the Word about social media. It doesn't say get on Facebook and have a bunch of people start praying for you because most of those people, they have no idea about prayer. Now, God, you know, contrary to popular belief, the Word of God says God hears the prayers of the righteous. Yeah, it's in Psalms. He hears the prayers of the righteous. Well, what about the prayers of the unrighteous? You don't hear them. The only prayer that God's going to hear from an unrighteous person is a call out for salvation. Lord, help me. Save me. You'll hear that prayer. So when you see people saying out there, well, I, pr I pray that God will change it. Are you a Christian? No, but I, I pray that God changes the situation. Nothing's happening. So if you've got a whole family of those people praying for you, they're not really doing anything for you. So they don't know how to pray. And then you've got, uh, you got other people that see that kind of prayer going on and say, well, why should I pray? Because those people prayed and they're more holy than I am. They're not even believers. I don't think prayer works. See, I, I, that's a different standpoint. I know prayer works. I know it works. It does work if you know how to pray. See, that's what I'm teaching you, how to pray. You pray from the standpoint, change is happening immediately. Amen? Amen. Did you get something today? Praise God. Praise God. Take this and, and listen to it again. You can, um, we're... We'll have it up on Spotify probably here in the next few days, if not today. Listen to it again. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. It'll help you. It'll bless you. It'll empower you. Glory to God. Let's stand up.